Chapter 8 of Time Telling Through the Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Time Telling Through the Ages by Harry Chase Brearley. Chapter 8 The Watch That Was Hatched from the Nuremberg Egg. In the second act of Shakespeare's play, As You Like It, when Touchstone the Fool meets Jacquis the Sage, he draws forth a sundial from his pocket and begins to moralize upon time. Touchstone's dial must have looked like a napkin ring, with a stem like that of a watch, by which to hold it up edgewise toward the sun, and a tiny hole in the upper part of the ring through which a little sunbeam could fall upon the inner surface whereon the hours were marked this pinhole was perhaps pierced through a slide which could be adjusted up or down according to the sun's position at the time of year in principle therefore it was a miniature of the huge dial of ahas of more than two thousand years before in another shakespeare play twelfth night malvolio is gloating in imagination over his coming luxury when he shall have married the heiress and entered upon a life of wealth and leisure i frown the while says he and perchance wind up my watch or play with my some rich jewel there in those two quotations we have the whole meaning of the watch in the time of queen elizabeth touchstone's dial was a practical convenience a thing to tell the time malvolio's watch was a piece of jewelry an ornament indicating wealth and splendor while watches had been well known for many years people wore them chiefly for display and told time by means of pocket sundials for the first watches we must go back to about the year fifteen hundred shortly after america had been discovered and when the great tower clocks of de vick and lightfoot were not much more than a century old in the quaint old town of nuremberg there lived at that time one peter henlein probably a locksmith but a locksmith in those days would be an expert mechanic more like a modern toolmaker very likely an armorer also capable of that fine workmanship in metal which we still wonder at in our museums nuremberg was then very much a medieval city all red-tiled roofs and queer windows where people went about dressed in trunks and jerkins and pointed caps and pointed shoes it looked like de meistersinger and grimm's fairy tales and pictures by howard pyle and maxfield parrish very much like spotless town except that it was far from spotless now as you remember there was not until long after this any means of making clocks keep anything like accurate time so instead of improving them people competed with each other in devising novel and ingenious forms there could be no more desirable novelty than a clock small enough to stand upon a desk or table or even to be carried around such a clock could not well be driven by weights but peter henlein overcame that difficulty by using for the motive power a coiled mainspring wound up with a ratchet just as we still do today there is some dispute over attributing to henlein the credit for this invention but at least he did the thing 
and it cannot be proved that anybody did it before him every day wrote johannes Seelus in 1511 produces more ingenious inventions a clever and comparatively young man peter henlein creates works that are the admiration of leading mathematicians for out of a little iron he constructs clocks with numerous wheels which without any impulse and in any position indicate time for forty hours and strike and which can be carried in the purse as well as in the pocket there was however no invention of any such thing as we mean by the term watch to-day that came complete from the mind of any one man but the contrivance gradually grew in shape and structure out of the small clock which could be worn at the belt or on a chain round the neck it came to be called a watch because clock meant a bell that struck the hours but many of the first watches had striking apparatus and this circumstance added to the confusion of names we slangily call a fat old-fashioned watch a turnip but the first watches were very much fatter and more old-fashioned and might fairly have deserved the name before long henlein was making them oval in shape hence they were called nuremberg eggs here then is something which we can really consider a watch let us see how it compares with those that we know today in the first place being egg-shaped it was thick and heavy you would not like to carry it in your pocket it had no crystal and only one hand the hour hand so much for the outside inside the difference was still greater the works were made of iron and put together with pens and rivets it was all handwork expert workmanship indeed but look at the works of your own watch and try to imagine cutting the teeth in those tiny gears or making those delicate springs with files and hammers as pieces of hand workmanship therefore the watches made by henlein and his followers were remarkable but when compared with our modern watches they were crude and clumsy affairs furthermore they were poor timekeepers they had the old foliot balance running parallel to the dial this was all very well as long as the watch lay on the table with the balance swinging horizontally but as soon as it was carried in a perpendicular position the arms of the balance had to swing up and down which was quite another matter and then of course the crudeness of the works produced a great deal of friction this made it necessary to use a very stiff mainspring otherwise the watch would not run at all such a spring exercised more pressure when it was fully wound than when it was nearly run down and so the worst fault of the foliot was that it speeded up under increased pressure the first improvements and in fact the only ones for nearly two hundred years were directed toward doing away with the unequal pressure of the mainspring and thus make the watch keep better time if you look into the back of a very early watch you may see a curious device consisting of a curved arm ending in a pinion which travels round an eccentric gear of peculiar shape this is the first type of equalizing mechanism it was invented in peter henlein's time and was called the stackfried but it was a clumsy device at best and a great waste of power therefore it was gradually displaced by the fusee 
perhaps one might have felt a certain amount of pride in caring about such a thick bulging mechanical toy as were these early watches but as to possessing something that would keep correct time that was a different matter after admiring it and listening to its ticking one would have to guess as to just how far wrong it might be people did not figure closely on minutes and half minutes in the day of the nuremberg egg there was no wall street and no commuting and this brings us to a real event in the whole story jacob zeck a swiss mechanic living at prague in bohemia austria about fifteen twenty five began studying the problem of the equalization of watch mechanism he was sure that there ought to be some better means than that of the clumsy stack freed presently he hit upon the principle of the fusee and gruet another swiss perfected it at last it became possible to make a watch that would not run fast when first wound and then go more and more slowly as it ran down and to do this in a really practical way before this time a watch was a clumsy piece of ticking jewelry now it became something of a real timekeeper therefore it was not long before people began to want swiss watches these were the days when skillful swiss craftsmen worked patiently in their little home shops making some single watch part and making it extremely well while the so-called manufacturer bought up these separate parts and assembled them into watches what was the fusee that brought about such a change not much to look at surely merely a short cone with a spiral groove running about it and a cord or chain wound in this groove and fastened at the large end of the core its principle and its action were very simple and that is why it was a great invention someone has said that anyone can invent a complicated machine to do a piece of work but it takes real brains to make a simple machine that will do the same work the shaft of the fusee was attached to the great wheel which drove the gears and the other end of the cord was fastened to the mainspring barrel this is the way in which it worked the mainspring slowly turned the barrel this gradually unwound the cord from the fusee and caused the fusee to turn when the fusee turned the wheels also were forced to turn and the watch was running at the start the cord would unwind from the small end where the leverage was least but as the tension of the mainspring grew slowly less the leverage of the cord grew slowly greater and consequently the power applied to the wheels was always of the same degree of strength this invention gave a great impulse to swiss watchmaking several centuries later it worked to the disadvantage of english manufacturers for they continued to use it after other countries had found still better methods of power equalization the fusee was invented about the year fifteen twenty five at a time when the world was fairly alive with new ideas people in europe were just beginning to realize that they were living on a sphere and not upon a flat surface and that there was a vast new land on the other side of the ocean columbus had crossed the atlantic but a few years before and now explorers were making new voyages of discovery in every direction printing invented by gutenberg about a century before was becoming common enough to be a real power in the world 
bringing the thoughts of men before the eyes of thousands without the slow and expensive process of hand copying the first printed copy of the bible had made its appearance and caxton had set up his first printing press all within the lifetime of people then living and printing shops were being established in many places many people were learning to read a thing that could be said of very few in the middle ages they were finding out something about the wonderful forgotten civilization of ancient times everywhere people's minds were stirring we call it the time of the renaissance or the rebirth of civilization but in some respects it was more like the awakening of the world after a long sleep just as a person on waking looks first at his clock or watch so now the world preparing to be busy and modern needed some better means of telling time it therefore was both natural and necessary that the watch should have received such a great improvement as the fusee at just this period then began the age of those strange ingenious watches which we still find in the museums for some time there were only a few real improvements screws and brass wheels were introduced into their construction about fifteen fifty and glass crystals about sixteen hundred the minute hand appeared occasionally but it was not in common use for nearly a century afterward and that shows how watches were regarded in those days one would think that such an obvious advantage as that of minute notation would have been seized upon and utilized at once on the contrary people did not seem to care much about it what was the use of a hand to mark the minutes when the watch was more likely than not to be half an hour or so in error for real timekeeping there were dials everywhere and there were also fairly good clocks in the towers at night watchmen patrolled the streets and called out the hours these watchmen were the police of the period it was part of their duty to call out the time just as the modern police direct people upon the way they wish to go for timekeeping the watch was still less useful than the watchman made entirely by hand it was necessarily expensive therefore it was made regardless of expense it was thought of as malvolio thought of it a possession showing the wealth and station of the wearer a rich jewel a toy for noblemen and for kings centuries were to pass before real watches were within the reach of common people it is said that edward the sixth was the first englishman to possess a watch this young king who reigned so short a time will be remembered by many as the young prince in mark twain's famous story the prince and the pauper mary queen of scots had a small watch shaped like a skull a cheerful fashion of the time many others were shaped in the form of insects flowers animals and various other objects even today the swiss make many watches of curious form queen elizabeth and her court selected watches as modern women do their hats to match their various costumes these watches were usually worn on a chain or ribbon round the neck and were largely for display several outside cases were often supplied with watches of that period and they were made to fit on over that which held the works these were variously ornamented with jewels tortoise shell and intricate pierced work in gold almost as delicate as lace the covers were decorated with miniature paintings some of which were very beautiful 
strangely enough it was this practice of decorating watches that later gave us our plain white enameled dials because enamel was the best material on which to paint delicately to the average museum visitor the interest in any collection of old watches aside from their historic association lies in their marvelously ornamented cases rather than in their mechanism and in this he very closely repeats the feeling of their original makers or owners it was more important to follow fashion than to know the time this custom of watch decoration continued more or less through the eighteenth century and even into the nineteenth although by that time watches had as we shall see become excellent timepieces the story is told that when dresden was captured by the prussians in seventeen fifty seven they found in the wardrobe of count brule the saxon minister a different suit of clothes for every day in the year each had a watch stick and snuff-box appropriately decorated as part of each one shakespeare never regarded a watch seriously in love's labors lost he compares a woman to a german clock still a repairing ever out of frame and never going aright being a watch a century after shakespeare's day dr johnson remarked that a dictionary was like a watch the worst is better than none and the best cannot be expected to go quite true and pope says in the same vein tis with our judgments as our watches none go just alike yet each believes his own all of this reminds one of dickens famous character captain cuttle whose watch was evidently of the old school readers of dombey and son may remember how the captain drew walter into a corner and with a great effort that made his face very red pulled up the silver watch which was so big and so tight in his pocket that it came out like a bung waller said the captain handing it over and shaking him heartily by the hand a parting gift my lad put it back half an hour every morning and another quarter toward afternoon and it's a watch that'll do you credit the old idea of regarding the watch as a trinket rather than as a timepiece as an expensive toy rather than as an accurate and necessary mechanism has come down to us from the days when a watch was ornamented outside because it could not be really useful within even now in spite of the modern demand for accurate timekeeping that attitude has not entirely died away as is shown by the expression gold watch and silver watch of course there are really no such things there are merely gold and silver cases for steel brass and nickel watches some people still continue this mistaken idea by thinking of a watch merely as jewelry as a thing meant more for ornament than for use end of chapter eight recording by james k white chula vista